Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old loan officer from California. I started this podcast back in April 2020. Got furloughed from my job for about three months. And during those three months, I was very honest with myself. I was like, we can either start emotionally eating. We can start suppressing these feelings of not feeling worthy because you've lost this thing that you attach so much of your identity to. Or we can start that podcast that you've always been wanting to start. So I decided to go with that second option and I'm so glad I did. I've interviewed over 130 people since then. It's been incredible. I've got to interview music artists and seven-figure entrepreneurs and just all these incredible people with different stories and different ways of how they got to where they are and just hearing about their journey, hearing about their shit show moments because we all have shit show moments and just learning how to navigate them better and learning how to learn from them and take them and create something magical out of them. And I'm so glad that I get to interview all these incredible people and I am such a big believer that you can radically change your life in a year. You can just radically change your circumstances, where you're at. And I remember being 19 and just trying to get a job and applying to like, I was applying to Ross and like a smoothie bar and like all these places wouldn't take me. And I was like so offended. I was like, why is no one taking me? And then I finally passed my NMLS test and then I got a job with a major mortgage company. And I was like, oh, that's why they didn't take me because I was meant to go down and get this job instead of that job. And I went from being 19 with $0 in my bank account and just being so strong about money and so stressed about like is it going to come into my life do I what am I going to do about this should being 20 year old with over 60 grand in savings and I think one of the big changes that I made between those two was even when I had zero in the savings account I still believed that I was abundant I still believed that money was going to flow into my life I still believed in something that I couldn't see at the time because I knew it was just a matter of time before it was going to come so I'm such a huge believer and you can radically change your scenario you can step into that next version of you and that next version of you that higher self version of you she's not that far away as you think i think she's just there's just garbage in the way and it's just undercovering that garbage that's in the way of you getting to her and just stepping into that and the next version of you with the next level results it's something i'm super passionate about and i hope from this podcast that you get to hear these stories and relate with these people and just relate with like not necessarily like just re connecting to that path of what you want to do and reconnecting to that higher version of you and what you wanted to be when you were younger and what lights you up and what brings you joy. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear these episodes. Would love to connect with you on Instagram. My Instagram's the shit show of my 20s. DM me and love to have a conversation and feel free to share this with someone you know will love it. And you can also leave a review on iTunes. I would love that. Today's guest is Gabrielle. I love chatting with her. Gabrielle, she's a fitness instructor, confidence coach, sports nutritionist, and vegan ultra endurance athlete. She has such an interesting story. She has, she was an actress, and then she had this realization that she didn't want to act anymore, and that she was meant for something different. And we go into being an actress and what performing taught her, and how she was able to use that in all the work she's doing now. And we go into how she's able to train for these marathons and the mindset that it takes in order to complete a marathon. And we go into her body positivity journey and so much more and how her vegan journey and what inspired her to go vegan. We go into how do you motivate yourselves in the last five minutes of the workout when you don't feel like working out anymore. 
and so much more. So excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Gab, for joining me today. I'm really yeah. looking forward to getting to know you. Me too. I'd love to know. I'd love to start. So like, tell me about your 20s so far. Feel free okay. to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. <laughs> Let's start there. Sure, sure. So uh, I have to say I'm approaching the end of my 20s. I'm 28 now. Um, I'll be 29 in about six months. And it, the the growth is just astronomical. Like when I look back on who I was on my 20th birthday, it was like a totally different human being. And it's been good. And I think the thing now looking back, it's like all of the things that were so terrible, all those shit show moments where I was like, I can't believe this happened to me. I'm never going to be able to get through this. Like, thank God that they happened the way that they did. I'm so thankful for all of like the crappy moments and like the heartbreak and the drama and the terrible, like staying up all night worrying because they all got me to where I am. And I'm so happy to be where I am. And then a shit show moment, like there are so many of them. I think the classic one that always comes to mind is going out, drinking too much, leaving something behind. Like I got a, a North Face jacket with my wallet in one pocket and my Blackberry, that's how old I am, in another pocket, stolen right out from under me because I was at a bar, like drank too much, started flirting with some guy and then lost it all. Um, and had to call my dad and say like, hey, by the way, I have absolutely nothing to my name anymore. You have to help me. You know, very classic, like stupid, stupid, stupid stuff. But yeah, I mean, too many, too many moments like that, you know? I'd love for you to go into like, prior you were like an actor and now you're like a fitness instructor I would like you to go through like your career journey and like what was your career journey like and how did you get to the place you're at right now yeah so I I had the bug to be a performer from the time I was like four or five years old I was an only child for the majority of my life so I loved playing pretend and and kind of like putting myself into different characters and and going through all of that and so by the time I was old enough, I was like, put me on stage. I want to do this. And I was actually pretty good. I could sing, I could dance, I could do the whole thing. And I got old enough and I went through high school and I won an award in high school that gave me a scholarship to study performing in college. So I went off to a performing arts college and I got my bachelor's degree in acting. And of course, when you go to college for performing arts, everyone always says, you know, just be careful. It's really, really challenging out there. You know, you're, you're going to have a really hard time. Like you might want to get a backup. And as an 18 year old, you're like, no, I don't need a backup. I'm going to make it. I'm going to, I'm going to be famous. My face is going to be plastered everywhere, you know? And I, I worked my ass off in college and I went to a school where I could also be actively performing and auditioning. And I did all of your typical New York city television shows. I did a CU. I was on gossip girl for a while. I did college humor videos. I kind of, I ran the gamut, right? Nothing, nothing crazy, but I was making my way. And probably around the time I was like 21 or 22, I was so miserable because the only thing I cared about was, am I thin enough? Because that's the pressure that really gets put on you. It's just like, are you thin enough? Are you going to fit into this size double zero dress? Are you the prettiest girl in the room? Like my, my focus was no longer on, am I talented enough? My focus was on, am I thin enough? And I just woke up one morning and I was like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I just don't. It's not worth it. And of course, the anxiety that I experienced was like, 
how am I going to admit to all these people that told me I was going to fail that I've quit? Because of course, they're not going to see what I feel, which is I'm so happy I don't have to do that anymore. They're going to see, oh, see, I told you it was too hard. You weren't good enough. You couldn't do it. And so I really had to make peace with this idea of like, it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters how I feel. And that was challenging. But eventually I kind of got over myself and I was recovering from a very disordered mindset, a very disordered set of eating habits, a very disordered relationship with exercise. And I was kind of like, I wonder what would happen if I worked out just to feel better instead of like to try to be thin, you know, or to burn X amount of calories. So I kind of started going to the gym with a different mindset and I just fell in love with it. And I was like, this is something that I could do. And I wanted to help other women feel like they didn't have to be the thinnest person in the room to be of value. So I decided to become a personal trainer. And then I was doing that for a while. I I had my own personal training business. I had upwards of like 60 clients. I was doing really well. And then I discovered group fitness, which is basically where you do fitness instructing, but you're on a stage and there's music and everybody looks at you and you have a microphone. And it was, it was everything that I loved about performing with the added fitness element. And I was just like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And as I have gotten deeper and deeper into, you know, the field of fitness and, and the performance aspect, I've just fallen more in love. And it helps me to get that sort of like, you know, uh, love of being in the spotlight and the love of, of leading people and storytelling and guiding people through an emotional journey, while also like letting people know your value is not determined by the size of your body. Your value is determined by how strong you are or how passionate you are, how much you love to talk to people and help people and, you know, all that stuff. So it's been, it's almost been like a circular journey where I I was going down the right path. I just, I was veering off to the wrong side and I kind of had to straighten myself back out. So now that uh, you know, the pandemic hit and digital fitness is a much bigger platform. I've I've landed myself on a, a pretty big app where I teach classes that are streamed across the globe. And I'm back in front of the camera, which I love. And I feel like I, I'm able to spread my message to a wider audience than I could in, you know, a room of 40 people. So it's been, uh, it's been kind of bizarre in, you know, from the beginning of my 20s to the end to kind of see that circle happen. But I have never been happier or more fulfilled. And can you go into like, what were those like steps that allowed you to get away from like, am I thin enough? Like, what were those steps for you to realize, okay, this is toxic, I need to get out of this place. And like, what was your steps to just like kind of detach from all the things you thought you had to be? So I I remember very vividly having panic attacks where like the night before an audition, I had this dress in mind that I was going to wear or whatever, and I would put it on and it could fit me perfectly. But in my mind, in the mirror, I was too fat. I was too this, I was too that. It it looked terrible. They were going to laugh at me. They were going to be rude to me because they don't hold back, you know, like they will, they will tell you exactly what they think. And that had happened to me before. And I didn't want it to happen again. And I just remember like, everything revolved around so normally before an audition you'll get the script and you have to memorize it you have to rehearse and you have to go in I wouldn't even look at it because I would be focused solely on okay well what am I going to eat how much how much am I going to work out before like how am I going to you know I stepped on the scale this morning and I have to lose seven pounds before I get there so how am I going to do it and I just it, it was so enthralling 
that I, I couldn't help but realize like, this is not normal. This is not what I learned in school. I am not using any of the skills that I gathered. I am literally just staying up all night, staring at the ceiling, panicking about what I ate, you know, two weeks ago. So I was like, I, I, I need to fix this before it gets really bad. And I, I had already, you know, I knew that the things that I was doing weren't right, that I was skipping meals. I was doing lots of things that I shouldn't have been doing. And I was like, I, I need to, I need to fix this. And the, honestly, the real kicker was just the fact that I wasn't happy. I would get an audition. My agent would call me and say, you have to be here at this day at this time. And I would be like, I don't want to, because the stress that I know I'm about to face about what I look like, how much I ate, what size I have to be, it, it's all too much. And so hitting pause on that, because initially I said, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pause for a little while. It was so freeing to be like, I, I, nobody is going to be staring at me tomorrow and sizing me up and saying, no, she's too fat. Like it was, it was like, I, I don't have to worry about that anymore. And it felt so good. And finding fitness was just that kind of a happy accident. Like I've, I was never athletic. I was never the kid in school who played sports. I was a drama club kid from beginning to end. I didn't, my college didn't even have sports teams. Like I really wasn't into it. It just felt right. And it felt like loving myself and kind of going through this to feel good instead of doing it as a punishment, which is what I had done for so many years before that. It was literally like thousands of pounds off my shoulders and, and just a new hobby. And honestly, I think the hardest part was just dealing with this idea of like, there are going to be people who think that you failed. And I had to learn to live with that. But Oddly enough, and, and this is something that I, I have shared with a lot of people because it, it blew my mind. Like looking back, nobody gave a shit. Nobody, nobody was like, gee, I wonder what Gab is up to. You know what I mean? Like, like even, the, even my, my friends knew and they were happy for me. My family knew and they were happy for me. And all these other people, like they were so caught up in their own damn lives. Like nobody was wondering what I was doing. There are people now that I'm sure, you know, this is, this is six years ago who are probably like, oh yeah, that's that actress, you know, who have no idea that I'm not even in that anymore because we're so worried about what other people think of us. But like other people are so busy with their own bullshit. Nobody's thinking about us. And realizing that has helped me so much in my life because even now I'm like, I, you know, who cares? Like people, people are not paying attention to us as much as we think that they are paying attention to us, um, which was also really freeing to kind of realize. And for someone who's maybe like stuck in a cycle of like, they haven't worked out to feel good in a while. Like they only work out because they want to like improve like the way they look. What advice would you give them to get back to like, I want to feel good. I want to work out for feeling like what advice would you get them to get back to that place? So my first piece of advice would be if the workout that you're doing feels like a chore, it's not the right workout for you. And I am, I am someone who truly believes that you can get results with any kind of workout. Like I, I'm a big runner. I'm a big strength trainer, but you can, I've, I've had incredible results from hot yoga, uh, which is a completely different field. And the difference is that when you're consistent with something, that's when you see results. When you do it every day or almost every day, then you're going to see a difference. So if what you're doing, you're not enjoying, then of course, you're going to find every reason under the sun to skip it or to not or to, you know, get busy with something else. So the first thing is you have to find something that you love and that you enjoy because then you'll actually do it. And then the second thing is you've got to start measuring your success 
with different tools. We, we've been brought up to believe that like the scale is your measure of success or that your pant size is your measure of success. But that's one lens. There are so many other lenses to look through. You can look through like, do I, am I happier because I moved my body and I got a little sweaty, you know, or am I proud of myself because I checked it off my to-do list and I really did it. That's got to be the way you measure your success because that other stuff, what you look like, what size you wear, like that's all going to come with the consistency. But if that's your focus, then like you're, you're spending so much time on a number when there are so many other things out there, like, like feeling better or, you know, to, to your point, like you said to me earlier, filling your time with more productive things. That's a great measure, you know, but I think, I think what it really comes down to is it's got to be something you love and it's got to be something that the focus is on feeling rather than results. And before me, do you think that's something like that just came natural to you? Or do you think that's something you worked on over time? And if someone's maybe not a performer yet, but they want to be a performer so they can get to that next level, what advice would you give them? So I think that the reason that I was very successful as a performer and and a reason that I, I still use those skills in my classes now is because I I understand human emotion and human emotion is what it's all about. Like people think that performing is, is putting on a show or it's pretending, but at its core, it's honesty. And so if you're able to really kind of tap into your emotions and, and deliver something that is true and honest from your heart, then you're going to be successful. But that's kind of, it's, it's half a skill, but it's also something that you're kind of born with. Some people are, they don't feel a whole lot of emotions. Like, you know, they're kind of here and there and they're happy and they're, you know, whatever. And that's kind of it. And some people feel all of the feelings. And I am definitely the type of person who feels all of the feelings. So when I read a script and I'm like, oh, I've felt that before. I know exactly how that feels because I am all over the spectrum of emotions. So I'm able to kind of go and, and tap into that and, and feel that and bring that to life for you know a character. So I think if you have that ability, then it doesn't matter how much experience you have because life is your experience. You know, you've just got to, you've got to figure out how to bring that up and how to, how to kind of what I call re-feel it, feel it again. And, and we do that all the time. We do that when we talk to people. If somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I'm really upset because my dog died. Like if you feel the, the pain that they're feeling, then, and you can sympathize with them and empathize with them, then you can do the same thing for a fictional character. But not everybody has that ability. So I think, I think it's, it's a little bit innate and then it's just practice. And would you like visualize the characters when you were like tapping into them? Or like, is there anything you did to figure out what the characters would act like in a certain scenario or? Yeah, so there, there are a lot of different schools of acting. The school that I most identified with was a sort of more intellectual style where you would you would look at a script and look at a character and say okay this person is feeling angry right and you would you would kind of interpret that from their behavior and from the things that they say and then instead of maybe trying to think of a time when I was angry like that that that's something that happens more in the moment I would look at it and say okay well what do I do when I'm angry? Because a lot of times people think like anger is yelling and throwing things and, and beating people up. And like, that's not always true. Humans are very complex. Like when I'm angry at my husband, sometimes I just, I say, no, I'm okay. You know, and that, that's a little bit more authentic as opposed, I don't always yell and throw things and get angry. So, so I would look at a script and say, okay, well maybe at this point she's 
she's just not really, she's just not really responding, you know? No, I'm okay. Why? And, and I think that is a little bit more of my process, the way that I would kind of look at things and, and dissect them a little bit and kind of decide, like, you, you never want to go for the obvious choice, right? You kind of want to, you want to feel out other ways to express emotion because humans don't always go for the obvious choice. So that's a little bit more what I did. And oddly enough, it's something that I still use in my classes. Like I know a lot of fitness instructors who like to yell their motivation and I tend to not because I think yelling is, it's something that happens so often in fitness that we kind of are, we're like numb to it when an instructor is like, yeah, you okay, yeah, it's like, all right, calm down. I like to, I like to deliver things other ways that are a little bit more emotional that you kind of hear and really feel and you're like, whoa, you know? And how are you able to like keep your students motivated, like to the end when they're tired, when they're like, I don't know if I want to continue this workout. Like, is there any tricks that you have like noticed works for your students that maybe we could use in like our own workouts? Oh yeah. So for me, I think that I never, ever make it about the workout because in reality, like, like we just discussed before, it's rarely about the workout. You know, why do people wake up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a run? Sometimes they do it because they're training for a race or because they want to lose weight. But 99% of the time, people are looking to be more confident or they're looking to be stronger or they're looking to be happier or you know it's something bigger they they just had a breakup and they want to prove that they are you know capable of something more than just a b and c and so for me i motivate people by reminding them like this this moment where you want to quit and you're going to keep going anyway that's going to bridge the gap between who you currently are and who you want to be like if you continue to do the same thing over and over again, you're going to remain the same person. But if you want to be this person, then you've got to walk that journey. And it's not always going to be pretty, but whatever it is that you want, it's on the other side of moments like this. So you've got to push through. And I think that speaks more to why they've gotten up and started this workout than, you know, you want a firm butt, you got to keep doing those squats. Like that doesn't work because in the moment you're like, nah, screw the butt. Give me the pancakes. You know, like I'm not, I, I quit. It's too hard. But when it's bigger, especially sometimes it's like, you know, who's watching or your kids watching are your, you know, friends watching, like, who are you motivating? Who are you inspiring just by, by continuing to push forward? And I think that's a little bit more motivating than like, you know, be the, I want a perfect body because in the moment, like screw the body. You know, <laughs> when you're, when you're approaching those last five minutes, it's like, nah, screw it. I'm good. I'm done. But things like, like inspiration or, you know, purpose, those transcend the shitty moments. And what are some of your favorite workouts to do? So I, I, of course, I'm a big runner. I love to run. I love strength training. I have really only been focusing on strength training probably since the pandemic and it just it changed it's changed so much changed my body right that's cool whatever lots of things will change your body it changed my mindset where like i i have always been like a i'm a strong woman i don't need your help i got this i'll do it myself but now i'm like i actually mean it like i do not need you to carry something heavy i have it i can do it and it's something like that you know, it's, it's a very physical task, but like, it will change your mind where you're like, holy shit, if I can carry something that is twice my body weight, can you imagine what I can do in like a situation where I have to stand up for myself? 
Like if somebody's going to treat me like shit, if I know I can pick up something twice my body weight, then like, don't fuck with me. Like I'm going to, I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel and you are going to treat me with respect. And it's incredible how those things translate from, you know, the gym to your real life. And so I feel so much more confident. I feel so much stronger and I feel more confident when I look in the mirror, you know? And let's say someone's trying to lose weight, but they want to do it in like a positive way. Like they don't want to do it in like a look bad or like, I don't like the way my clothes fit. What's like a positive way to start that process? I think it's all just got to come from self-love. So, so something that I will say is that all, most body changes, particularly at the beginning of somebody's journey, come from nutrition, what we're eating, because it's damn near impossible to out-exercise a bad diet. And so when you look at your, your refrigerator, right, and you're like, okay, what am I going to eat? It's got to come from a place of, I love myself so much that I want to fuel my body with good instead of, you know, I'm going to eat this carrot because I'm fat. Like that, that isn't going to work. You're not going to stick to that. But when you look at it, you say, all right, I'm going to eat a, a big salad because my body needs fuel and I want it to feel good and I want it to run well. When you come at it with that from a place of love, you're going to have much more success. You're going to stick to it. You're going to feel less like shit. And you're, it's going to translate into other areas where, you know, I'm going to do this tough workout, but I'm going to do it because I love myself and I know I'm going to feel better when I'm done instead of I hate myself and I need to punish myself because we can't live in a state of punishment. I am living proof that a state of punishment is not one that you can stay in for very long. So when we flip the script and we make it about love, not only is it easier to stick to, but it also becomes less like emotionally draining and taxing. So you can stay with it for longer. And then if something happens where, you know, okay, I've been doing really, really well, but I really want to go get pizza with my friends. If you're coming from a place of love, it's like, all right, girl, do it. We'll get back to it tomorrow. Instead of you fat piece of shit, you shouldn't have done that, you know, because again, then you're off the rails. It's not going to last. So coming from a place of self-love, it just checks all of the boxes of like, you can do it. It's okay if you're not perfect. It's okay if it takes you a little bit longer or, you know, whatever. And, and it's going to be lasting. For someone who finds themselves, like they've been on a fitness journey, they've been trying to get to this place for a while and they feel kind of discouraged because they feel like it's so far away from where they're at right now. And they feel like whenever they get close to it, they tend to go and do opposite patterns or like, they feel like this thing is just constantly going farther and farther away. What advice would you give someone who's maybe looking to reignite that fitness journey or restart that process? I think the biggest takeaway is that there is no endpoint. And I think the problem is that we think, okay, once I weigh X amount or once I run this race or once I do this, then like I'm done. And anybody in the fitness field will tell you that there kind of is no end point because even if you run that race or hit that goal or whatever, if you don't maintain it, you're going to backslide and go right back to where you started. And that sets people up for failure because to your point, they get really close and then they start to feel good. And they're like, all right, you know, I can go back to doing whatever the hell I want. And then they backslide and they're like, well, now I'm starting from square one. So I think the important thing to remember is that like, just like with anything else, if you don't use it, you lose it. So it can't be a 30-day program or a 12-week program. It's got to be the rest of your life. And some days you're going to be more dedicated than others. You know, some months or years are going to be better than others. But if you want to have 
the benefit forever, you've got to put in the work forever. So that kind of takes us back to our first discussion where it's like, you got to find something that you love because you got to stick with it. And you've got to come at it from a place of self-love because you can't hate yourself into a pattern, right? You can't hate yourself into a habit. So it's got to be enjoyable. You've got to love yourself through it. And you have to realize that like, you might hit your goal, but that doesn't mean that you're able to now just like cut it off and go back to the way you used to be. So it's got to be something that you're like, okay, I can, I can do this and I can do it and incorporate it for as long as, you know, I'm interested and able to. And what inspired you to get into running marathons? And can you go into like the mindset that you had to develop in order to do so? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually was, it's a very interesting story. So the majority of my fitness career, I was a cycling instructor. Um, I still am a cycling instructor. I love it very much. But for a long time, that was like what I did. And my best friend is a dietitian, and she had run her first one or two marathons. And she said to me, you know, I think you should run. I think you would like it. And I said to her, you know, I I just don't think I can because I'm a cycling instructor and, you know, my body just can't handle that. And she kind of called me out on my bullshit. And she was like, well, what about people that do triathlons? Like they bike and run in the same event and they're okay. And I was like, oh, damn it. You know, like she's right. I was using it as an excuse because I didn't want to. So I said, all right, I'll try, but my knees are swollen. Like my knees hurt. I've got a lot of knee problems. I have a lot of inflammation. Like I was teaching two cycling classes a week and my knees were, were, I needed to ice them every day. And she was like, all right, well, maybe you should try a plant-based diet. And I was kind of like, why would I do that? You know, I was like, oh, I tried that in college. All I did was eat French fries and Oreos and it, I, it didn't work. And she was like, okay, well, you're going to try it again. And you're going to do it better. And you're going to eat actual fruits and vegetables and see if your knee problems go away. So I was like, all right, I'll do it for 30 days. And that's it. And that was about three and a half years ago. It changed my body. It, my knee problems disappeared and I have never had them again. I felt amazing. I had so much energy. I was recovering faster. I was feeling better. And I went from running three miles and absolutely hating it to running six and then 12 and then 20. And then I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I signed up for my first marathon and I was blown away at what I was able to accomplish because up to that point, I had resigned myself to this idea of like, I can't, I just can't, sorry, not for me. I can't do it. And seeing the difference in that aspect of my life, it translated to every other aspect where it was like, if I can run a marathon, like imagine what else I can do. Like I can do this and I can do that. And, you know, it it gave me this courage and this bravery and this like ability to, to really truly understand that I could do hard things and that like hard things were, you know, they were going to suck. Like running a marathon isn't, it's not a, a, joyous occasion where you're like, wow, this is great. Like it's tough. It sucks. But it built this mental callus that I'm able to use in these other places where like, you know, sometimes I don't want to have tough conversations, but like, I know that I can, and I know I can, I can be okay. And it just, it changed everything. And and once I started doing marathons and then I got into ultra marathons, which is anything longer than 26.2. And I just, I loved this idea of you know, if there's a race, I can run it. It's going to be tough and it's going to suck, but I know I can do it. 
And that was the message that I wanted to spread to other people where now that these classes that I was teaching, they weren't just about like, oh, love yourself, you know, oh, just make sure you're, you're happy, be a good person. It was like, no, bitch, like if, if there's something you want, like go get it. I promise you, because I know, I know that you can go get whatever you want if you are willing to put in a little bit of work and get a little uncomfortable because I was not a runner. And now like, it, it, it's essentially how I define myself, you know? And do you coach yourself while you're in that marathon? Like, do you constantly coach yourself while you feel like giving up? Did you have a moment ever where you're running and you're like, I just can't do this anymore? Or? I, I have, so I'm going to, I'm going to split that up into two parts. I do have to coach myself through it constantly. And, and probably the biggest mantra that I use when I'm running is that I have survived much worse than this. And I think that we all have parts of our lives where we felt like this is the end. Like, I can't get through this. This is the worst thing I've ever had to do. You know, we've had heartbreak. We've had difficulties with family. We've had, you know, really, really difficult moments where we hit rock bottom. And for me, you know, I'll never forget. I cried at mile 22 of my first marathon because I was like, I, I know that these next four miles are going to suck. But I also know that this doesn't have shit on some of the things that I've already been through. And if I can handle that, I can handle this. And so I, I just reflect on the moments in my life where I really made it through something tough. And then I'm like, I'm going to run in honor of that me, you know, younger me that really put up her dukes and fought for something. And like, now I'm going to honor her by doing something tough again and getting through it and reminding her that like, she's a tough bitch and she got it, you know? And so that, that's really what it's all about for me. And then the second part of your question. So yes, I have had what I call temper tantrum while I'm, I'm running. I was training for a 100 mile marathon this time last year. Unfortunately, the race was canceled due to COVID, but I trained all the way up to the very end for it. And there were times when I would have to do like a 36 mile run on Saturday and a 26 mile run on Sunday. And you do these really long back to backs. And I was so, so tired and so physically beat up. And I was experiencing these injuries and like, you know, my training volume was higher than it's ever been. And, and I was so tired that I remember one day running, I probably made it like four miles and I just stopped and I just sat in the street and cried because my legs felt like bricks and it was so hard to move. And I was just like, I can't do this. This is not supposed to be this hard. And I just like, I would have these breakdowns and part of it was exhaustion. And part of it was just intimidation by like how much more I had to do. But I remember calling my husband and being like, I like, this is not okay. And he was kind of just like, but you know, you can do it. And it was like, it felt very similar to my friend calling me out on my bullshit about, you know, all my knees. It was kind of like, all right, yeah, like it's going to suck, but all right, yeah, I know I can do it. And then just having to, to get up and, and try it again. But that happened quite a few times. And how important do you think it is to have people like your friend who call you out on your own bullshit? I mean, it's so important. We are, we as humans are able to convince ourselves of nearly anything. We can spin something in our head and back ourselves up to a point where we really believe it. I mean, I do that all the time. And so to have somebody who's like, uh, ma'am, 
no, that is wrong. Like try again. It's so important because if that, if that didn't happen, if I didn't have my friend, I would probably still be eating, you know, cheese and hot dogs and claiming that, you know, my genetics just don't let me run because I have these knees and like my knees are fine, you know? So I think, I think we need people in our corner who can kind of like very gently remind us that like, we're getting a little off the rails here with our thought process. And can you go into your love story and how you met your husband? Yeah, yeah, this is a great one. So um, when I was an actor, I was doing the television show Gossip Girl for a little while. Eventually it got canceled. So I went back to waiting tables as we do. And uh, I was waiting tables at this 80s themed like retro diner on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And it was a slow day and I was, we had floor to ceiling windows and I was just kind of staring out the window one day, just like not really looking at anything. And this guy walked by and he passed me and he kind of like stopped and then looked in the window and smiled at me. And I've been a New Yorker all my life. So I was like, can I help you? Like the fuck are you looking at? You know, like, excuse me, like weirdo. And I gave him this like, yeah. And he turned around and he came in the restaurant and he asked me for a job application. He was like, are you guys hiring? And I was like, I don't know, but like, here's a piece of paper, you know, whatever. And he was really cute. And I was just kind of like, he was like a little too friendly. Like I had that feeling like, what kind of alien transplant is this, you know? So I actually took about a week and a half off from work right after that. And when I came back, he was working there. And the moment that we started working together, I was like, I, I, this is my husband. This is the, I, I love him. And it took a long time for us to actually get together. He had just moved to New York from Missouri with a girlfriend. I had been seeing somebody, uh, you know, we, we were in like different phases of our lives. And about a year in, we got together, we moved in, we got a dog, and that was about nine years ago. And what was it about him that really stood out to you? He was so kind. And I, I don't want to go with the stereotype that New Yorkers aren't kind because it's just not true. But he, he was like, whereas a group of us would get into a cab and argue about how much each of us owed, he was just like, I'll just pay for the whole thing. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like the intoxication of like, oh, he's an adult or like, oh, he has money or whatever. It was just like, he, he doesn't, like, he just, he doesn't mind doing things for other people. He was funny and he was helpful and he was so selfless and it was just like all of the the things that your parents tell you you want in a partner while you're busy like obsessing over the douchebag you know who like doesn't call you back it was like oh this is what my mom meant when she was like you know this is the type of person that you want to you want to be in a relationship with like oh I get it now and he it was like all of the opportunities that he ever had to be like that kind of douchey guy that like doesn't call you back like it he just he never did it was like like I feel this way like do you also feel like are you are you getting the sense here that like you know do you like me as much as I like you and it was just like it was unlike any other relationship I've ever experienced I say all the time that like he's my best friend and he was from the very beginning and did he say I really like you I need to be in a relationship with you or did you break out and tell that news or like how did that happen how did you guys transition from friends to more well I I think I don't know that I remember exactly how it happened but he like I said he had moved to New York with a a long-term girlfriend and so they their relationship was not really doing great like they were both kind of 
starting to like go in opposite directions. But in the beginning, it was a little bit like, you can't be, you can't be flirting with me like this. You got a girlfriend, you know? And then it, it took a while for that relationship to kind of end. And, and I think at some point I got kind of impatient and I started seeing somebody and then he was completely single. And I was kind of just dating this guy, like to be like, well, well, you know, I'm not waiting around for you. So eventually I broke it off with that guy. But I, I mean, from the, from day one, I would argue it was like, we, we knew that this was the end game. We just had to figure out how to get there. And I think that, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I know for me, at least from day one, it was like, Oh, all right, there's my guy, you know, that's it. And what do you think has allowed you guys to like grow together throughout the years and continue to keep your relationship strong? So when we met, he, I mean, I was, I was a, a 21 year old actress. I was 20. I was a 20 year old actress. I was an entirely different human being than I am now. And as was he, just completely different people. And there is a, a level of openness and honesty that allows us to, you know, like I, I told you, I was, I was so afraid of what people were going to think of me when I left my career in acting. And something that's been really pivotal in our relationship is that like, I never worry that he's going to judge me. Like if I, if I turned around and said to him, you know, I want to quit fitness and I want to, I want to open a McDonald's, he would be like, okay, cool. You know, like, how can we do that? How can we figure that out? There's no judgment. It's all complete, you know, openness and, and love. And I think that being able to, to feel comfortable to change is the most important thing because often people in relationships, like their lives grow apart and they, they're, they become different. And, you know, you wake up one morning and you're kind of like, this isn't the person that I agreed to spend my life with. Like you're different now than you were when we made that promise. And I think that's kind of inevitable because as people, we change, but the fact that we've been able to change together has been completely uh, the reason that, that we've been able to make it work for so long. And, and from such a young kind of, you know, very, I don't want to say immature, but like a, just a, you know, nobody is the same person they are at 22, any amount of years later, you know, at 23, I was a different person. And so to be able to openly and honestly say, Hey, I know that I said I used to want to do this, but now I want to do this um, has been a game changer. And we just we're just open with one another and at our core we are we have the same values and the same beliefs and we love one another and we just express it you know we express ourselves a little differently um as the years go on but it's uh it's it's un, it's freeing to be able to be authentically you and know that this person will understand and support you no matter what and is there anything you guys think you guys did to create that level of openness or did you guys always just have that level of openness with each other? I think that because in the very beginning we were not able to jump into dating one another and we really did just kind of have to be work friends. We were able to kind of get to know one another on a very like friendly level. And there was always an undertone of like, I really like you, but it was sort of off limits. So we really did have to get to know one another. And having that that friendship first was huge because we got to know one another outside of the like romantic courtship it was like no tell me who you really are and so that has been tremendous throughout our entire relationship and I think we are both just very honest 
And we're both kind of like, don't sugarcoat it. Like, just tell me what you mean. And that's been really helpful. And there's just something so comforting about talking to somebody when you know that they are going to hear you out and completely understand. And they may not, they may not agree, or they may be like, I'm a little bit confused, but okay. But you've got their support no matter what. It, it just makes, there's no fear and there's no sort of like, oh my God, but what are they going to think? You know, we're like, what's he going to say? It's just like, this is, this is it. This is what I want. This is, you know, is that cool? Can we, can we make it happen? And that's it. And what is something that most people don't know about you? Ooh, something that most people don't know about me. What a great question. I would say something that most people don't know about me. Okay, here's a fun one. So you know when you're a little kid and you're like, initially your parents brush your teeth for you because you're like, you don't have like the motor skills or whatever. So I, my parents to brush my teeth for me until I got to a certain age and they're like, okay, go brush your teeth on your own. But the thing is, they never like really taught me how. So to this day, I'm almost 30 years old. When I brush my teeth, it looks like I just get toothpaste all over the place, like all over myself, all over the sink, all over whatever, because I feel like nobody really taught me how, you know, some people can like walk around and brush their teeth. I can't, I just need to be like over the sink, like making sure that it doesn't get all over myself. I can't brush my teeth after I get dressed. It's really, really bad. And I, I blame my parents for not teaching me how to do it. They just kind of set me free and screwed me over for life. And that's how I knew that Simon was going to be the guy that I was going to be with because I let him, I let him get a front row seat to me trying to brush my teeth. And he was like, all right, I still like you. And I was like, all right, cool. (laughs) What's something you're really excited about right now? Right now I am really excited about New York city starting to reopen some indoor dining. I am hoping that they are going to start reopening some gyms. Digital fitness is incredible and I love it, but I definitely miss some in-person, one-on-one, you know, time with people, fitness stuff. And I, I, I love my city and I'm really excited to see it kind of start to thrive again and come back a little bit. So yeah, I think, I think that's what I'm most excited about. It feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel now. And what's something you learned from your students that you weren't expecting to learn? Honestly, I think probably the biggest thing that I've learned is not everybody views and digests things the same way that we do. So I think for a little while, I was very much like, well, what do you mean? You don't think you can do it. Like, just do it. That's what I'm up here telling you is that if you want something, just do it. And it, it took me a while to understand that like some people, like not everybody is as crazy as I am or, or you know, as uh, has the same amount of, you know, I'm just going to go and do it and screw, you know, whatever happens. So I kind of learned that like everybody, everybody goes through their process a little bit differently. And so it taught me to tailor my approach two different types of people. I truly believe that absolutely anybody can achieve anything that they want. I just think that we all have different methods to get there. And so I was just spewing my way, my way, my way, my way. And not everybody was able to kind of do it my way. And so now I'm able to be a little bit more like, okay, I see, I see where you're at. I see how you feel. Let's try it this way and see if that works for you. Even though I would be like, you know, 10 miles down. What's something that you do routinely that brings you joy? 
something that I do routinely that brings me joy. I, every Friday night, every Friday night, my husband and I have whatever meal that, that we want. Um, we are both vegan. So we're, it's always vegan. It's not like a, you know, we don't go and have like cheese and milk or anything like that. But we, if we are feeling burgers, if we are feeling pizza, if we are feeling sushi, if we are whatever, if there's a vegan version of it, we will go out and we will get it. And there are two things that I love about that. Number one is that it is like the highlight of my week. And the second thing is that when I get to a place in the middle of the week where I'm like frustrated or I'm just like, I want to throw them in the towel or, you know, whatever. I remember that like Friday night is my night. Like if I, if I want to have a milkshake and a giant piece of chocolate cake, like I'm going to do it Friday night. And it, it is the best. <laughs> and every time I'm stressed, I like count the minutes until Friday. And did you inspire your partner to go vegan? Is your partner vegan? He is. Yeah. Yeah. So he went vegan shortly after I did. And so the reason that I went vegan was for athletic performance. I was like my knees, you know, whatever my friend said, 30 days. So I said, okay, somewhere probably around day, like 20 to 21, my husband was kind of like, I, he's from the Midwest. So he's very like meat and potatoes. And he didn't really care. Like athletic performance didn't really mean anything to him. He was like, listen, I'm never going to be able to do this. You do it. I support you, but I'm not involved. And then something clicked in him where he, he's an animal lover. He's a big animal lover. And he was like, what's the difference between my dog and this cow that like somebody murdered so that I could eat it? Like, what's the difference? They're both animals. I love them both. Like I, I wouldn't be the one to pick up the, you know, the knife and kill them or whatever. And so he was like, I, I can't, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And so he kind of had a very different approach where he was all about like, his love of animals. And I was like, I want to run a marathon, but he, he did go vegan. And he, of course, because he's a guy lost like a ton of weight and got like really, really healthy very quickly. And like, it's still very much a junk food vegan where he's like Oreos and, you know, Sour Patch Kids and whatever. And like, still got really, really healthy. And he now has the appreciation for the athletic performance and all the health benefits and stuff. Just like now I have an appreciation for uh, the animals and, you know, the ethical and moral reasons to be vegan, but we, we definitely came at it from different angles, but kind of met in the middle. And do you have any advice for someone, maybe they're vegan and their partner is not vegan and they want to inspire them maybe to get a little more plant-based. Do you have any advice for that? Yeah. So Unfortunately, it is the type of thing that you cannot force on somebody. They have to be ready. They have to be ready. I will say that I've been vegan now for almost four years. And the, the difference in like the, you know, fake cheese from four years ago to now is unbelievable. So if your partner is like grossed out by, you know, like, like the, the tofurkey of, you know, years ago, maybe try something a little bit newer because some things you wouldn't even be able to tell that they're like, you know, the alternative or they're like not meat or not cheese or whatever. Um, and then the other thing is just setting the example. Like I think that people feel that they're limited based on like, well, I only like, I don't like that. Or like I it's inconvenient or it's hard or whatever, you know, in the beginning, everyone I knew told me like, Oh, being vegan is really, really hard. And it's like the longer that I was able to do it, the more I was like, see, it's really not that hard. And then other people were kind of like, oh, wow, it's not that hard. And I've actually helped quite a few people make the transition. So I think just setting the example. And then lastly, remember that it doesn't have to be black and white. You can, you can inspire them to do Meatless Monday. 
And then maybe hopefully that will grow from one day a week to two days a week. Or you can inspire them to try a vegan restaurant and just see, you know, how they do. And, and it can be a gradual change versus like, I need you to give up all meat and all dairy right now for the rest of your life. Uh, because people have a hard time kind of agreeing to something like that. Whereas like trying something new is something most people can get behind. And what's something that keeps you grounded? I think that taking myself seriously is, is something that I do way too much. And I get very, very caught up in like my career path and where I'm going and all the things that I want to accomplish and, you know, my trajectory. And every so often I have to like sit back and kind of just be like, what, like, who am I? Like, what am I, you know, what, what am I doing here? I'm not, I'm not doing rocket science. I'm not doing brain surgery. Like it's fitness and it's, you know, whatever. And so being able to like make a, a silly video the other day, I made a video of me doing like a Jane Fonda 1980s, like home VHS workout and like just putting it out into the ether to just like not take it so seriously, you know, because I know so many people who like want to be taken seriously and they want to be professionals and it's like yeah that's great but like you're also like you have to be a human you know and so every so often when I find myself like getting a little bit too serious I'm like all right pause like how can I embarrass myself on the internet to feel like a little bit less you know like like none of this really matters so I really I, I do love to make people laugh but I also love to like take the pressure off a little bit you know mm. Is there any personal development practices or things you've incorporated in your life that have really changed your life? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the answer to that, yes, is the answer. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of really smart people talk about the things that they do. And then I think I, I, I started to, I try to think of the right way to phrase this. I started to hold myself to a higher standard. And by that, I mean, sometimes I would listen to somebody be like, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and spend an hour journaling. And you hear that and you're like, hell no, like I will never do that. And you're like, so you say to yourself, okay, I'll wake up at eight and I'll do 10 minutes of journaling. And like, I did that for a long time. And was it beneficial? You know, sure. Yeah, of course it was better than not doing anything. But eventually I was like, well, what if I just, if that person can wake up at four and do it for an hour, why can't I? Like, why not me? They're no better than I am. They're, they're no more special than I am. Like, why not? And so I started to, to say to myself, if you want to be like this person, you've got to behave like this person. And so I, instead of negotiating and saying, okay, well, I'll wake up at eight and do it for 10 minutes. It was like, okay, I'm really going to try to wake up at four and do this for an hour. And that shift, made all of the difference because the difference between who you are and who you want to be is what you do. So it was like, if that's who I want to be, then let me just do what they do. And I was capable, which I never would have thought. And it made a big difference. So I think, I think that we are so limited in what we feel we can do that we, we always just start with like the, the, like, how do I make this a little bit easier as opposed to how do I just dive right in? And so my my sort of development practice has been like, if I'm gonna do it, let me do it. And that's why I said, you know, let me run a hundred miles. That's why it was like, all right, you know, if I wanna, if I really wanna be in 
fitness and performance, like let me find a company that is that is streaming globally instead of just, you know, teaching to 40 people at my local studio. Because if that's if that's what you want, you've got to you've got to put in the work and you've got to do it. And so holding myself to a higher standard and setting bigger goals was huge. It was, it was the, the difference between, you know, being who I was and, and growing into who I wanted to be. And for that hour of journaling, is it like a free flow journaling? Do you have a topic? Like, what, you, what is so it like? Let me, let me just say that was such an example. I do not wake up for an hour of journal. I wish that I did, but I definitely don't. That was just an example. But, you know, I do wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I do sit down with my computer and drink my coffee and answer my emails. And I, you know, set up my Instagram posts for the day or the week or whatever, I will write my client workouts. I will write my classes that I'm going to be teaching. Like I, I do wake up at four to get shit done. And at one point in my life, I was like, I could never, I am not a morning person. This is not what I want to do. But I kept hearing these really smart, really successful people say they get their work done first thing in the morning. And eventually I had to be like, if I want to be really successful, then I have to behave like successful people do. And so it was a tough transition, but now it's like second nature. I wake up, I get out of bed, I pour myself a cup of coffee and I, I get to work. And so, you know, I'm, I'm working on, on stuff like that and being better about stuff like that in other fields that maybe are not as simple as like set an earlier alarm, you know? And if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what advice would you give her? I would want her to know that the people that she is so worried about judging her are not worth it. And frankly, they're probably not paying attention that in order to become who she really wants to be, she has to let go of the fear of what other people are going to think. Because the more that I worried about what other people thought, the more I stayed somewhere that I was not happy and the moment that I was like, let them talk, you know, I, it doesn't matter. I'm the one that has to live this life, the happier that I was. And I had, I only wish that I had done it sooner because I think that I spent a long time hanging on to something that there was no hanging on to. So I think, I think I would want her to know, like, don't worry about them because even, even prior to a career change, like I remember being in college and being so afraid of like, what people were going to think about what I was wearing or what people were going to think about, you know, where I was, you know, going after class or who I was hanging out with. Or I was just constantly worried about what people thought. And it was like, what, how much energy did I waste when I could have been, you know, doing whatever the hell I wanted to be happy. Like it just didn't matter. And now, I mean, if I don't follow these people on Instagram, I don't even remember them. You know, these people that I was so worried about, like, what are they going to think? Like, I think one of the, and I'll leave you with this. One of the most amazing experiences that I've had in the past, like 10 years, my husband and I went to visit my parents and we went out to like an Applebee's around where I grew up minutes from my high school. And at the bar at this Applebee's was one of the guys from high school that was like a big bully and you know you always had to be afraid that he was gonna like make fun of you or whatever he was in my science class and he was ruthless and I saw him and I could not remember his name 
I, it, no matter what I did, I couldn't find him on Facebook. I couldn't, I couldn't piece it together. I couldn't even describe him well enough to have my friend try to remember his name. I just knew he was a bully. And I just remember him being like a real dick in high school. But I was like, oh my God, none of it matters. Like he, he I, I don't even remember this person. Like that. I just, how silly, you know, that I was so worried about what this person thought. And like now, 10 years later, like, I, if I ran into him anywhere else, I would not have even recognized him. He had no idea who I was, you know? So it's like all of these people whose opinions we're worried about very soon will just be another face at another Applebee's that you will not recognize or care about. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. And where can people connect with you online? Yeah, so I am on Instagram at gab.bolin. And then you can find me on Facebook and you can take my classes on the studio digital fitness app. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes, please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.